As Becky said, I'm Barbara Ettinger. I'm part of the leadership team at Trinity Covenant Church, which is the church that hosts Tabernacle. And I am delighted to be able to introduce to you a friend, a new friend, uh, Frank Riley and his wife Jennifer are visiting from California. Imagine coming all the way to, from California to come to Tabernacle. It's probably farther than any of us have come, right? Um, but Frank and Jenny are here this weekend exploring whether or not God might be calling Frank to serve here at Trinity as our lead transitional pastor in the next year or two of the season of change that we're in. Um, been just really fun getting to know both of them this weekend, um, but down through the, the weeks, um, just learning a little bit about Frank's story, his journey with Jesus has taken him everywhere from Minnesota, where it's really, really cold, to Afghanistan, where it's really, really hot, and there's fire of all kinds. Um, and he has experienced that as in his service as a chaplain in the armed forces. He's been a pastor and a youth pastor and a friend to many and a hiker and an adventurer and a funny guy <laughs> uh, that we're learning more about. Um, but tonight he is coming as a servant to open God's word and to invite us to continue to abide in the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, but who is here with us tonight. So Frank, why don't you come up? Lord, this evening we're about to hear from your word, and uh, some of us are about to be reminded of things that we know and have known for a lifetime, some of us to hear the stories for the first time. And God, whether you are filling us anew or filling us for the first time, we would ask truly that your spirit would lead, guide, and teach and direct us through, uh, through this evening. We love you, and we thank you for this time. Amen. My daughter was uh, three years old. I have two kids, Cora and Jack. And Cora was three years old, and she was in our backyard, and it was spring, and there were butterflies floating around the flower garden that we had uh, planted out on the side yard. And uh, my daughter had this little butterfly right on her hand, you know, and she was so proud of it, just enjoying it, walking around with it, you know, and I turned my back for a few minutes, and uh, then my daughter all of a sudden came up to me and looked me in the eye and held this thing up to me and said, Daddy, it's not a butterfly anymore. She had taken its wings and torn them right off, and so... Uh, and so the, the reality was, is I had a portion of a butterfly, but not the whole thing. Her expectation was looking at me that I'd be able to put it back together again. Sometimes people have said, maybe you're a miracle worker, but not like that. And uh, so there wasn't anything that I could do. What did you expect, Cora? Well, at three years old, she didn't expect that she could do irreparable damage to a small creature like that. Some years later, uh, we took a group of students and we were hiking um, up into the Sierras. Uh, my group had come up a day or so later and we were catching up to the forward party. And so up there on the side of the mountain, uh, it was late at night and I had gotten the map wrong and I had tooken, taken the wrong turn. What did you expect? And so as we headed up the wrong turn on this uh, mountain, it was late, and being the caregiver that I was, I thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a fire. And people were telling me, we don't need a fire tonight. It's okay. We don't need one. And I'm sitting there saying, yes, we do. Yes, we do. So we started this fire, and we enjoyed it, and then we bedded down for the night. Well, uh, partway through the evening, I uh, looked up, and uh, there... Uh, 
basically everything was glowing. And uh, glowing strongly through the forest, um, I had set the forest on fire. And uh, what had happened was there was a bed of pine needles basically underneath uh, where, our, where we made the fire. And although I thought I put it out, right, it had traveled 25, 30 feet along the bottom of the pine needles and lit up the sky. You know, so we spent a good part of that evening together with my crew putting out a fire. What did you expect? Well, certainly not that. There's a sense sometimes that there are things in our lives that we never expect are going to happen to us, right? And all of a sudden they do. There are times when we raise expectations and we're only disappointed by them, right? And there are times sometimes we don't realize what it is that we're playing with and the power of what it is we're playing with, like fire in the, in the forest. The book of Acts basically begins Acts chapters 1 and 2. It's the beginning of the church. And in chapter 2, you know, you basically have the Spirit of God just falling down on the church. And, uh, and a whole movement beginning with not very many uh, disciples. It was a movement, by the way, that was uh, doomed to failure, or should have been from the very beginning. Max Lucado, in his book, Under the Anvil, writes these words. From the start, the movement was doomed to fail. For one thing, it began with just a few followers, remarkably few when you consider that their homeland had a population of only four million. Few, if any, had traveled beyond their own country. They were inexperienced and uncultured. Their government was corrupt. Their religion was shallow and oppressive. The strategy of the movement was disastrous. No headquarters was ever established. No professional research was ever done. Very few paid staff occupied positions of leadership. There was no playbook to follow. On top of all of this, the movement was far too extreme and absurd. It demanded too much too soon. It was too impatient for traditions. It called for a reversal of social classes. It gave too much leverage to women and minority groups. The movement was doomed to failure. But it didn't fail. It succeeded. Not only did it succeed, but it far surpassed any movement in our world's history. Within 30 years, the message of Jesus Christ had entered every port, city, and courtyard of the world. It was infectious. It was a moving organism. Some say that our culture in America has entered a post-Christian era. That doesn't matter. Others scoff at the absurdity of believing in anything that's absolute. Won't stop it. Materialism blankets the country. Still, the movement will continue. It might be slowed, but it'll never be stopped. The commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, can't be stilled. And guess what? God has allowed every follower of Jesus every follower, to participate in such a cause. For this is not a movement of people. It's a movement of God that is precisely why what should have failed never will. The movement begins. And in Acts chapter 3, you hear this remarkable story starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, it was three in the afternoon. 
Every day at three in the afternoon in the temple in Jerusalem, people would gather and they would come for prayer. And by the way, all of us know what prayer is. It's the time, especially if we're coming for that specific purpose. It's often the time when we're making our requests known to God, right? It's a time when we're worshiping. It's a time when we're telling him not only how amazing and grand he is, but sometimes coming before him and saying, please, God, this day, this is what is needed. Please, on behalf of my family, please, on behalf of my friends, on behalf of my community, please, I beseech you to hear and to answer. And day after day, every day at 3 o'clock, it's the hour of prayer, people are coming. And on this particular day, Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. Something else is about to happen. Now, there was a man, and here was his difficulty. He was crippled from the time of his birth. And on this particular day, he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple court. This is his existence. Every day his friends bring him, every day his friends set him down, and he's set down at this gate called Beautiful, but his life is anything but that. For some of us in the room, maybe that's the way our lives feel sometimes. Everybody else has the beautiful life and enters through the beautiful gate, but not me. And for him, here's the tragedy. And you may not know this about Jewish law, but he is there at the hour of prayer, and he is left at the temple to beg. Never inside the temple. Because no unwhole or crippled thing was allowed inside. So for all of his years, the closest he can get to the inside of God's house is the beautiful gate. And every day he's there, every day he's there passing through the gate, please, please, alms, please, money, please help me. And every day people are moving in to ask God for whatever it is they're going to ask him for, and every day they have to pass him by. He is a regular at the gate called beautiful. But on this particular day, something different is going to happen, because Peter and John are on their way in. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said this, look at us. So the man gave him his attention. Understand the picture for a moment. Day after day, he's there. But it is even worse. He has become a non-person. Give, give, give. He's aware that they're there, but what is Peter not doing? Or the beggar not doing? He's not looking Peter and John into the eye, right? He's a non-person. And Peter and John stop at this particular moment and begin this way. Look at us. Man to man. Person to person, giving the beggar value. And so the man gives him their attention according to the, the text that he was expecting to get something from them. 
has no idea what he's about to get. So Peter says this, silver or gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in this name, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. This isn't the miracle of a man having his, his feet or his legs healed. The other day, I took a heavy cast iron um, pan and I dropped it on my foot. And, uh, and so I'm hopping around the, uh, I'm leaping around the house at that moment in time. I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm hurting, you know, and I'm, I'm yelling out, oh, it hurts, it hurts, you know. And, and my whole foot is swollen. Today, the miracle happened. I was able to get my right foot in my, in my shoes. Um, but it was, it's bad. But the deal is, and now the swelling is gone, right? I'm able to walk around fairly normally. Here's the miracle. In one moment, in one instant, not only are his legs made whole, but a man who has never learned to walk instantly knows how to what? How to walk, how to leap, and how to jump. The healing is not only one of physical extremities, but one of time and of lost ability and of abilities that he never had. It's an amazing moment. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk, taking him by the hand. He lifted him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he what? Jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then, finally, for the first time in his life, he went with them. Where? Into the temple courts. Walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, not because he has to, right, to stay up, it's out of delight. And maybe a little bit out of fear. You know, what am I doing in here finally? Because the whole crowds are all coming. Well, the beggar held on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness? We had made this man walk. And this is the key verse. Why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us, me, Peter, and John? As if by our own power and piety, we had made this man walk. You know, sometimes when it comes to our prayers for others, right? Sometimes when it comes to what we think God will do or not do, sometimes we think it's up to us. That, sometime, that somehow it's my holiness or my goodness or my ability that'll make a difference. Sometimes we're afraid to ask on behalf of others. Why? Because we're thinking, not holy enough. I'm not good enough. Who am I to ask? The very first miracle that takes place 
in the book of Acts is done as Peter gives the command, rise and walk. I think that's wonderful because Peter's also the man that denied Christ. He's also the one that said, I don't even know him. And not only is he fully restored post-resurrection, but he has the privilege of performing the first miracle. Oh, amazing grace. And Peter knows something very clearly. It's not because of my piety. It's not because of my strength. Because I know what? That I'm absolutely not strong. But I know who is. And so why do you look at us as if by our own piety we'd done it? Sometimes we count ourselves out, you know, quite frankly, because we think that we don't measure up. And you know what the great truth is? You don't. And I don't either. I've often said this about myself, Frank. Look at yourself too long in the mirror and you're done. Stick a fork in me. Because it was never about me. The expectation and bar of our faith, and here's a key thought, is far too low. We state over and over again that the Lord is absolutely sovereign. God's in control, right? That's what we say. And not only can, but does seek to work in our lives in a personal and powerful way. So here's a key question. Rather than expecting God's sovereign movement, rather than making it the daily expectation of our life, why does it surprise us when God does something? Men of Israel, why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we'd made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And down in verse 16, here's the summary that he gives. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus. By faith in his name. It has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. There's this key reality, and here's what it is. In the end, for every single one of us, it's not a matter of what we have. Silver and gold have I none, right? It's not a matter of what we have but who we have that really matters. And so many times when it comes to our own faith or to our own life, we think that it depends on us and only us. And if we look at ourselves in the mirror, we know that we don't measure up to that kind of greatness or that kind of need. But the amazing truth is that the treasure of Jesus Christ is basically put in weak earthen vessels like you and me. Or like Peter, by my own piety, by my own godliness, by my own purity, by my own strength, 
Peter's answer was, it doesn't exist. I never had the ability to make this man walk. But the person of Jesus working in and through us does. There are possibilities throughout every single one of our lives. And the tragedy is, is that we are surrounded sometimes by the culture around us, sometimes even by fellow believers in the church who will tell you that you don't measure up, that you're not good enough, that some mistake that you've made in your life is too great to allow you to have God do amazing things in your life. Throw them off. It's not about them. It's about him. It's not about who you are or what you were or where you were or what you have or what you did. It's about where you stand now and your willingness to allow God to do amazing things in and through your life in the time and place that he has for you every day of your life. Silver and gold might not have it. Great piety might not have it. Great God, we have it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this evening, for your goodness to us. And always for a reminder that truly our faith is about your power and not ours. About your goodness and not ours. About faith in you more than faith in ourselves. About everything, Lord, that you have, that you want, that you seek for your people. So God, fill us with a sense of expectation that you can do anything, anytime, anywhere, among your people, through the greatest of us, through the least of us, through the best of us, and the worst of us. It's not our piety. It's your person. We love you, and thank you for this time.